0: Connecting to the big show.
1: In three, two, one. When
0: do
2: we take control of our lives and our destiny?
1: We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now what this is, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous.
0: We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we
1: just talk? Call
0: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83 396 96 96.
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
0: The lines are live.
1: Let's kickstart the conversation.
0: This is The Opinion Line with PJ
3: Coogan.
1: On Cork's 96fm. Do you remember
3: last year when I was on it and on it and on it about... The, Queen, the Queen's Gambit Do you remember that And I said sit down and watch it And try to watch it just one episode at a time And you can't Do you remember that Yeah it won all round it last night At the Emmy Awards uh, Brilliant brilliant show If you've got see, uh, the crown swept the boards And Ted Lasso which I haven't seen yet But I'm told is very good That did really really well But the Queen's Gambit was a huge winner last night If you've not I promise you I absolutely promise you Chess is only a tiny part of it. If you want to see a great piece of drama, seven episodes, it'll wind you in and keep you wound. Uh, it's worth watching on Netflix. Also, did, fantastic to see, and I knew this had happened. If this didn't happen, there was no justice in the world. Kate Winslet won for Mere Like like How brilliant was she in that show? Emmy Awards given out overnight while we were all sleeping. Good morning to you, Monday, 1850, 715. Nine nine six. This man was on the Late Late Show earlier in the year And I think Andrew Geary, I I wanted to talk to you for a while Because I identify very much and very personally With what you and your family are going through Good morning to you Good morning, thanks very much PJ Delighted to have you on the show You have twins whose educational needs are different Which is exactly where I was And I am, I guess. Yeah. So tell me about Callum and Donica.
4: Yeah, they're they're twin boys and 12 years of age. Callum is deaf and a sign language user and Donica's hearing. And unfortunately, as happens with uh, twins that have different educational needs, their their, their paths diverge and Donica's gone off to secondary school recently and um, that uh, was really upsetting for poor Callum because... uh, he's stuck behind in sixth class they've always gone to different schools now in fairness PJ but Mm -hmm. again it's hard for twins when they like doing stuff together they're best pals and Mm -hmm. and it's very hard when one seems to have all his educational needs met because he's hearing and the other because his first language is sign language it's uh, you're pushing an absolute boulder up a hill every minute of every
3: day with someone sitting on it yeah you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not yeah, wrong. So Callum needs the interpreter all day, every day, correct?
4: That's it. And he um, has been at the School for the Deaf in Cork City, who are, which is a brilliant school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Callum's needs are, are very different. And he, needs, he had it for two years, PJ, in fairness, uh, between 2016 and 2018. And that's the only time in his life that he had full access. He's been at primary school for nine years nearly now. And um, it's that's the only time. And unfortunately, they, they were paying that lady very, very poorly. She would have got more um, on, you know, she was on minimum wage, basically, as a Trinity College graduate and just couldn't afford to keep coming to work. And it's... Uh, It's soul destroying for us as a family. My wife is a carer and she's the hero of this piece because she has to work every evening along with brilliant school staff. Don't get me wrong, but Helen has to work every evening on making sure Callum's educational needs are met by going over his English homework, his maths homework and his other pieces of homework to make sure he has understood everything that happened in the school that day because very few people have fluency in sign language in Ireland. We've uh, got 5,000 signers, but there's only about 70 or 80 children like Callum in Ireland because technology didn't work for him. It, cochlear implants, digital hearing aids, none of them were an option for him. Because about,
3: I was just about to get to that, Andrew. Does he have a, a hearing aid? Does he wear a hearing aid?
4: No, nothing like that worked. We, we travelled the world, and in fairness to you, 10 years ago, you had us on, and we travelled the world trying to give Callum access to hearing. We went to England, Warsaw, Italy, America, and none of that worked. And we were learning sign language all the time, but Callum's missing his hearing nerves on both sides. Oh, so cochlear implants, digital hearing aids, where he, we went for something even more pioneering than any of that, and it didn't work. Mm. Todd, it did for a while. Callum is just a supremely intelligent child, and that's not just because he's my son. Mm. PJ, you saw him, yourself, and has eyes in the back of his head and... There to do double-blind tests to prove that he, even though he's never heard a sound in his life, he has just loved people. He reads people like other people read books, and just loves people.
3: His his other senses have in a way taken over and and become even more acute to make up for his lack of hearing. But at the same time, that's not going to teach him English or French or Maths.
4: No, 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 and that's that's the that's the key. And um, as I was telling Fiona your re- researcher who reached out to me over the weekend it's we i i have given my whole life to this and my wife has and we've four beautiful boys and we love them and we've had to just totally dedicate ourselves to try and play catch up every day with his education and that's despite brilliant teachers all the time um because their hands are tied behind their back they didn't get to go to trinity to become interpreters for 4 years dcu had to fight with the Department of Education for 15 years. So our first ever deaf teachers of the deaf are in training after 100 years in DCU, but they won't be out for years. They won't be there in time for Callum. We're praying and hoping Callum will go to secondary school 12 months' time, and but he won't get through secondary school or even sixth class. Like we, We've been on the motorway, PJ, for the last six years. When I read a book by Mark Marshark in the summer, of 2015, my heart broke when I saw that, listen, none of the stuff this man that came to Ireland in 2008 wrote came true. Mm. He's, he's the foremost deaf education expert on the planet. And and we've been on the motorway in the last 12 months. We've been on a Formula One track and we're still getting nowhere. We're still hitting pause button after pause button. I've given hundreds and thousands of hours every year, the same as you and all the parents of special needs, disability kids. It's our first job is fighting for democracy and citizenship for our kids. And um, no one I, I I really do think we brilliant legislators here and I love our democracy BJ. Don't let my you know, frustration take away. I think we've brilliant people
3: here. No, just I, 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 parents. Feel, I feel where you are. Like are you aware? Yeah, don't no doubt you're aware of a thing called the Ebsen Act.
4: Yeah, boy, yeah. and listen, I, I I know Minister David Stanton, he's a personal friend. He helped put that legislation together in it 2004,
3: did. and it's, and it's, it's still, still sitting on the shelf. Still not implemented. Nearly yeah, 20 really, years. It was, it was, the Epson yeah, Act, by the way, for yeah. listeners who wouldn't understand, the Epson Act was a piece of legislation drawn up in 2004, which effectively would have given, and in simple terms, Callum, a right to his interpreter. An absolute yes. given right to to his interpreter, and the interpreter would have to be supplied for him as of his right. That's there. Yes. Black and white since 2004. They've never brought it in.
4: Yeah. We were groundbreaking. When that legislation was put together, we were the head of the whole of Europe. And now, again, we're so far behind the curve. And again, here look of the Shannon, Mark Daly, another friend, he helped pioneer along with the Irish Deaf Society and the Deaf community the Irish Sign Language Act, I was there all year helping them 2016, 2017 in Dublin every week on my own time, my own expense, mm. helping draft that legislation led by the deaf community. And Mark Daly put, put a brilliant, commenced by our president last December, Section 5 is there, PJ. Mm. It, there, it defines the position Callum needs. This, It's an interpreter he needs. It's defined in Section 5 and mm. Section 6 mm. of the ISL Act 2017. And that was backed up by an NCSE SNA review in May twenty eighteen, where again it says the qualified assistance in Irish Sign Language in line with the ISL Act were were d- and pause button after pause button, like all these lovely letters, it's coming, it's coming. But every day goes to school, he's falling further behind. There's
3: another there's another little quirk of our system. Like you said, the Epson Act is there and it was Noel Dempsey who, who drew it up. But it never, never got fully implemented, which means that the rights within it still don't exist for your son. But the the, the other if you go to court, you'll get it. You'll get
4: the interpreter if you go to court. Well, again, we've been looking at this all year and I've sat down and we've had to take legal advice and we're sitting down. We've got a, a legal team put together and. Unfortunately, I think that's the only route left to us. I, I love and we've exhausted our democracy, I think, at this stage. You know, I just, I hope not, but we're going to have to put everything on the line. I've, you know, we have a solicitor, senior counsel and barrister, and we're sitting down with them all year, since March this year. You know, and it's just soul-destroying that mm-hmm. our democracy and this country that you and I love. And, and um, you know, I, I, I studied history a long, long time ago, and I just love our history and... You know the likes of Pierce, Plunkett, Parnell, Tone, O'Connell, mm. all those people—they—they they didn't well, well, do all that
3: brilliant work. Well, for, well doesn't, for, our prop- for our doesn't our proclamation talk about uh, pre- uh, cherishing all the children of the nation equally?
4: Yes, and that that line keeps me going. I just read that every now and again, and it just that that line, and I think that's a. Uh, that's those brilliant people, and you read that line, and then UN CRC, the UN's Charter for Children, and those people could have written that Charter. They knew mm-hmm. that the children of our country are our greatest resource, and without our children, we're nothing. And they're the next generation. And it's just people say to me, "Why do you keep going?" I say, "I want to, like, I want Callum to to love the country as much as I do, and that that's all I want. I just want him to mm-hmm. fall in love with." that country, like you look at that man Thomas Francis Maher who brought our flag home from France and he went off fighting in the American Civil War, emancipating another enslaved people Mm -hmm. and sometimes I just feel Callum's whole life is is defined by his deafness, that's not his horizon his horizon has been set by people behind desks who just don't want to open the door to his full potential Mm -hmm. (laughs)
3: Mm-hmm Oh, can I can I just say that I he's twelve, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know, and Queen B will know if she's listening to this. We know, you know. There's not a lot of bullshitters in this business. Will tell you they know how you feel, and they don't. But i tell you this much: I do. I know thank how you. you feel, and I know how that feels. That fight feels, and I know how it's like yeah. to have. And I'm, I'm getting very personal here now. and I don't care. I know what it's like to have two kids. Twins. One yeah. can go their own direction, choose where they want to go and be happy in life. The other yeah. just needs a little bit of help now and again and that help, it's there's great people out there want to provide it, but do they have it by right? No they don't. And that's no. not
4: right. No, it's not because like that his his map is laid out for him and like he like you saw the two boys together yeah. on the Late Late Show, and in fairness, you know, I'm so proud of all my four boys, but like they're two of them are brilliant storytellers, and equally so. Callum just his li- eyes light up whenever anyone puts in any bit of effort into sign language, and mm-hmm. he his eyes just explode because then he feels, This is these are my people, and this, this is my country, and there is you've said it you've hit the nail on the head P.J. there like this country is built on parents volunteers carers those people who are out there push this country would be nothing without the charities and the volunteers they carry our democracy on their back every day and without those parents I spoke to a woman yesterday morning in Wexford she phoned me after she saw the tweet and like how she gets out of bed every morning and she still loves her country she mm. loves her son and she she's there fighting for services mm. every day and the map is laid out and but like Callum, he's going to achieve something great in life yeah. despite whatever roadblocks or pause buttons are put in front of him and he's going to achieve that. I know that. Well and well, he
3: you, you, with with you as as his advocate and and his voice, Andrew, he will achieve whatever he's able to achieve. And this is the International Week of Deaf People, which is another reason why we wanted to talk with you this morning. I'm going to wrap it with you there for now because I think. Certainly our, our lines have lit up, our message lines have lit up with people who, who see where you are and see what you're going through. Andrew Geary, thank you very much, and our best to luck to both Callum and to Dunica. That act, the Epson, again, look, if this doesn't come to your door, then you don't know, and that's okay, that's okay. The Epson Act was drawn up in 2003, actually, 2003, to give Callum and other kids like him, what he needs as a matter of right. Just as a matter of right, 2003, 18 years ago. That's still sitting there, not done. We've asked the Department of Education for a statement and when we get a response, we'll bring it to you. Um, And yes, this is very deeply personal for me because where Andrew is, we were. Different needs, but we were there.
5: Can we just talk?
3: opinion line
0: on corks 96 fm with the
1: mccarthy insurance group call in person or call them now they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie
0: the corks 96 fm music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist click 96 fm.ie now 96
1: fm.ie now Take a 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The
0: power to pick what we play.
1: Pick what we play. The Join the Quark's 96FM music panel.
0: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.
1: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.
0: Or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On
3: courts 96 FM. Emma O'Riordan, good morning to you. Listening to Andrew Geary.
1: Oh, hi. Who are you?
3: How are you doing? You were listening to Andrew, but there's another thing too here that you wanted to talk about. And this is a, a story from the newspaper last week from The Independent. A Social Democrats T.D. Holly Cairns uh, said she was frustrated after an Rochester's Committee on Disability Matters did not go ahead after no senators turned up.
6: Exactly. I'm, I suppose I read it and I'm shocked, but I'm not surprised, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your yeah. own situation?
6: Um, well, I suppose I'm kind of, it's my son, Killian. he's five now. He was, I suppose, referred for an autism assessment when he was around 19, 20 months. Okay. And I, you know yourself, the waiting lists and all that stuff never happened. So we, all, we had to go private. And he was assessed with autism when he was two years and three months. That was in July 2018. Sure. And since then, I suppose we've had bits and pieces. We've done some courses like a hand course with COPE or more speech stuff. We had one block of six occupational therapy sessions two years ago and everything is private. Yeah. Everything has to be paid for privately. It costs a fortune, but, you know, yourself, you can't say That's no to do. it. Yeah. It, is. Yeah. it is, you don't want to leave your child behind, like, so... Yeah. yeah, but I suppose it was. You know, you hear about these stories of, you know, the new progress in disability services, and it's great, it's fabulous. And then you see that it's just like they're not even bothering to show up.
3: Yeah, yeah. So
6: how is it supposed to progress when no one shows up?
3: Yeah, just for listeners, um, I just read a yeah. little bit more from the Independent article. Yeah. The Irish Committee on Disability Matters did not go ahead Thursday because four TDs turned up and there were no senators. They included Holly Cairns. It was due to be chaired by Michael Moynihan, but it requires senators as well as TDs and no, TD, no senators attended so the meeting could not proceed. Uh, they met at 10 o'clock Thursday morning and waited till half 10 for the senators. But nobody arrived. No, te- So the uh, Social Democrat TD Holly Cairns said if members were too busy to attend, then they should simply step down so that others could. And that's effectively where that is from last week.
6: Yeah. Yeah. That's
3: it. These are the people that were giving out about all they would do for kids with special needs.
6: You know? Yep, that's it. You hear all the sound bites of "we're going to help" and "we're going to give so many therapists and so many services," and there's nothing.
3: And then again, the, the Senate also. Do you remember? Do you remember how we were all told, "Oh, keep the Senate or abolish the Senate. Keep the Senate and reform it." So we decided we would keep the Senate and reform it. And a, we haven't reformed it. And b, they don't even turn up for meetings now.
6: Exact it's sickening. And you can do the day. meeting
3: you can even do the meetings on Zoom these days. You don't even have to go to Dublin.
6: Exactly. There's no excuse now. Yeah. <laughs> no excuses at all. No. And I suppose like that, I from my own experience with my son, you know, the therapists we're dealing with privately. We've been doing kind of you could say face to face or, you know, social distancing allowing and all that. We've been seeing them for the last few months with almost weekly sessions. Killian goes to weekly OT, weekly play therapy. You know, there's masks, there's distance where you can apply it. But I'm I'm still being offered... I was offered a course on Zoom to start next week. And I used to work in childcare myself, but I'm not a therapist. I don't know how to... I can try, but I can't apply the same principles. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just...
3: But again, Maybe banging your head off a wall. To, sorry, what's, <laughs> you what's, what's your little fellow's name, if you know what I'm asking? Killian. Killian. So, yeah. Again, I have, and this is just a report from 2011. It's, it's a column from the Examiner in 2011. And I read it this morning. And then I double checked to see had anything changed. And it hasn't. Uh, in 2003, no. the Epson Act was brought in. Right by by Noel Dempsey, it's the Education for Persons with Special Educational Needs Act, that was 2003, that act was drawn up in, like I said, nearly 20 years ago in 2011 this column written by Fergus Finlay it still hadn't been implemented and I checked as of May yeah. of this year, it still hasn't been implemented, and again, just like just like Callum uh, Killian mm. would have a right Killian, to all yeah. these things I'm just yeah, like Andrew, so he would. He'd have a right to all these things if that piece of legislation, which is nearly twenty years old, was brought into being.
6: Exactly, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like they talk about early intervention is the best thing. There is no early intervention. You have to do it yourself. You have to fight the roadblocks, and you've to you've to fight your own for your own child. And I have an elder son. He's just gone into first year. You basically, you fill out a form and he's almost secured a place. There's no issues. With Killian. he's in a school now. They're fantastic. I can't say bad. They're brilliant with him. He's integrating into the mainstream side now. He's Mm -hmm. in juniors. And like that, you can't... There was a fight for services, a fight for reports, paying for private assessments to get a place, and it's just crazy. Yeah. And it's just galling that senators, whose job it is to show up, who are paid a fortune to show up, mm. they just don't.
3: Salary of a senator. <laughs> salary of a senator is around the middle to high sixties per year plus expenses, and they don't even have to yeah. go to Dublin for their meetings. Now they can do it on Zoom.
6: Exactly. All the more maddening, really.
3: I know. All right, Emma. Thanks, and again, best of luck with uh, your ongoing campaign to get the best for your boy. So we've got senators who don't bother turning up for meetings. Oh, if any one of them would like to offer next, by the way, can we can we we can probably get a list, good with Fiona, of what senators or Fergal of what senators are actually on that committee, and if any of them are our own crowd, then I'd like them to explain themselves why they couldn't be bothered their arses to turn up for a meeting, even one of them on a Thursday morning to make sure that the meeting could go ahead. Besides that, uh, the next time that anyone comes to your door for an election campaign, and I don't care who it is now, right? The Ebsen Act. The reason you hear story after story after story after story on this programme, year in, year out, first of all, because we've I have a determination myself to keep keep banging the drum for people. I'm in a position to do it. Other parents aren't Drawn up in 2003, a piece of legislation which would solve these problems. Callum would have a right, a right to his interpreter, and Killian would have a right to all the services he needs. And every other child looking for a place would have a right to a place. Every other child looking for assistance would have a right to an assistant. It was drawn up 2003 by Fianna Fall. Oh, hey. Oh, wait. They're in government now, aren't they? And it still hasn't been implemented. 1850
5: 715 Can we
3: just talk? The opinion line on Corks
1: 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You guys ready?
0: Big Drive Home weekdays from
1: four on Cork's ninety six FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every weekday on the Big Drive Home. Whether it's after work, after school, after college, I'll be here bringing you closer to the stars.
4: I definitely get a lot of Betty Big shouted at me, which I don't mind.
1: <laughs> the best music guaranteed, and always the biggest prizes. You've
2: won! Hey, thank you so much. Thank
1: you so much, Larry. Driving you home weekdays from four on. Corks 96 FM, the
3: big drive home. On Corks 96 FM. Okay, the senators on that committee for disability matters. Thanks, Fergal. Erin McGreehan from Carlingford. Alice Mary Higgins from Galway. Isn't she the president's daughter? Or have I another Higgins? Alice Mary Higgins from Galway. Fiona O'Loughlin from Kildare. Mary Siri Carney from Dublin. Not one of them could be bothered to turn up for that meeting. Last Thursday, which meant he couldn't go ahead. Thank you, Senators, for note. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I've from comments on it which I will hold. Yes, she is the president's daughter. That's right. Alice Mary Higgins is the daughter, the president's daughter. She's a senator from County Galway. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Caller said they should be all be fined. They wouldn't be long showing up then. It's we're paying for all this. Uh, their facilities, their reports, wherever they meet, their IT. You add it all up to probably empower a child for life with some extra therapy.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, Tom says, while I agree with every word that was said, you have to get used to the fact that the only thing government cares about is money in the pocket and votes in the box, not the proclamation or the constitution or anything like that. Mag's heartbreaking listening to Andrew Geary on the opinion line. Education is a right, not a privilege. No parent should have to fight tooth and nail just to see their child progress. Dylan, it's horrific. There's absolutely no excuse for this uh, kind of lack of sign language interpreters. None. Where is the government? The TDs. I wish Andrew and family the best, and hopefully something will be done. Immediately, Maeve says, The battle is 365 days a year, takes its toll on the whole family. Other siblings are sidelined, because I only have so much energy, and I'm exhausted and overwhelmed myself. And I feel lost. I tell you, that's parent after parent after parent. 1850, Have you seen Adele lately? Adele, the singer, yeah. She's lost a ton of weight. She lost about seven stone. And of course, she was all over the newspapers, her new svelte image, as it were, and all that. And look, you can make what you want at those reports. That's not what we're here to discuss. The fact is, she managed to lose seven stone, and part of what she did was a thing called sixteen-eight dieting. It's a big craze. It's the thing where you eat for eight hours a day and you fast for the other sixteen, and it's a it's a fairly a fairly big success by all accounts. Neve Burke, good morning to you. Good
7: morning, PJ. Thanks
3: very much. Tell me more about this sixteen-eight diet and how it works.
7: Okay, so um, if you're talking about intermittent fasting, um, the idea is that you give your body a break from food and you eat within a certain window. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it's easier for men. Men actually adapt to fasting much better than women because um, stress can impact women's hormones um, more easily. So I probably wouldn't recommend jumping straight into a 16-hour fast if you haven't been doing fasting before. I would work from 12 hours to 14 hours, first of all, and start letting your body adapt to that kind of shorter window. And then you can eat between 10 and 12 hours, and you would would kind of shorten the eating window then, if you felt good to do so. Um, Uh, So, that especially for women, you just have to be careful with your hormones because it can um, affect PMS and things like that if you're doing too much fasting too quickly. Whereas men can just jump in, they'll adapt really quickly and they'll feel great on it. Typical, isn't it? Well, well, (laughs) well.
3: (laughs) yes, but like, okay, I would love to lose maybe a stone and a half or two stone. And I look at this and I think, okay, eat for eight hours a day and fast for 16. Looks all right. But you see, my downfall. My downfall is about is evening time. That's my killer.
7: Yeah,
3: Do you know, I've been all day. I've my breakfast, and I'll probably have something very light at lunchtime now, and then I'll have my dinner. Mm-hmm. But nighttime is my downfall.
7: Yeah, like I would like have a lot of experience working with clients in relation to weight loss. And I suppose the intermittent fasting isn't the magic bullet in terms of it. it does really matter what you eat in your eating window. And for a lot of people that are getting very hungry at nighttime, usually it's just as simple as they're not eating enough earlier on in the daytime. So, you know, if you try and eat a, a bigger lunch. And um, again, what you eat for dinner really will affect what kind of cravings you get later on. So one thing that I've noticed my clients and myself that when I eat potatoes, especially if they're mashed potatoes afterwards, I go crazy for sugar. Um, And potatoes are quite a high carb food. If you think about it, when we're most active earlier on in the daytime is a good time to eat your higher carb foods because they're they're more energizing, they have fast release energy. At nighttime, if you're gonna have low activity, you're better off with your slow release foods like more fats. And actually you won't have as much cravings then if you have more kind of healthy fats with your dinner. And interestingly in relation to fasting, um when you're fasting you want to send your body signals to burn fat for energy, to burn body fat or to burn the fat that you've been eating in a meal. So, that's what you want to set yourself up for a fat or fast. You need to kind of get your body into the kind of fat burning um, zone. And if you eat a lot of carbohydrates at dinner time, you're mm-hmm. going to be more kind of pushing your body into kind of glucose burning. You're going to be getting more cravings for glucose later on in the evening, sweets, chocolate, things gotcha. like that. And it's going to be much harder to fast. And interestingly, usually people will wake up hungrier and they'll need to eat earlier in the morning. So if you want, if people want to intermittent fast, the best thing to do is kind of look at your dinner, maybe reduce the carbohydrates a little bit at dinner time, increase your healthy fats, and try not to snack on the sugar, because what you're doing is you're telling your body burn glucose instead of burn fat. You'll find the cravings do go down. And then in the morning when you wake up, you'll find that you're not as hungry. Yeah. So intermittent fasting is easier then, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think... We could all benefit from eating at the right times rather than at the wrong times. Um, But you're saying an evening, like a dinner time, we'd have what, like last night, for example, we'd fish um, with a steam cod and had boiled potatoes, baby boiled potatoes with it. You're saying the potatoes were the wrong thing to have at that time of the evening.
7: Well, it just depends. Like a lot of people do exercise in the evening time. So if they're eating kind of a fast release energy food in the evening time and going off to the gym, they're going to burn that off. But what happens is like at rest, our cells can only take in a little bit of glucose and burn it off, at, you know, mm-hmm. at once. And what happens if, you know, you're having a big dinner, you're having a lot of carbohydrates, you're sitting on the couch, you're in a state of low activity, the body's just going to go... I don't need all this glucose. I'm just going to shift the body now into a fat storage mode instead of fat burning. And then when you when you shift into this fat storage mode to get rid of that excess glucose, people can start feeling quite tired in the evening time. They feel lethargic, and then that sugar craving starts kind of creeping in.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you said that it's it's men can do the the 16 hours easier than women. But is there is there a sense in doing say two? Four and eight, like if you went for four hours and then eight hours with a and then another four hours and then eight hours, does it work that way, or do you need to go the sixteen hours to 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 have the proper effect?
7: Do you mean now having kind of big gaps in between your meals? Yeah, is that what you're me? Um, it depends. Okay. I, I'm a really big believer in like self-monitoring and I really try and get my clients to tap into how they're feeling between their meals. And an awful lot of people don't feel great if they go for a certain amount of hours without eating. They might feel a bit shaky. They might get brain fog. Um, again it's to do with your kind of metabolic health and actually stress has a huge impact on it as well when you're stressed you tend to be in more of a fight fight or flight mode and it pushes you into a sugar burning mode gotcha. um, because it's a fast release energy so you be craving sugar when people are feeling stressed they just want sugar you know they really want chocolate and things like that um, so for them sometimes like they might feel hungry just like kind of hungry and angry yeah. if they go too long without meals and and um, what that does is actually it just puts an extra stress on the body. So, in in that way, I wouldn't recommend kind of having big long periods between your meals where you're not eating. If your body is going into this kind of stress, fight or flight. Yeah. Whereas sometimes people feel great; they have their, their most productivity when they you know they skip a meal um, and they can run that way. But again that's fine to do but just say for for example later on in the evening if they're finding god you know what like I was really st- productive today in work but I can't sleep now because they've released too many of the stress hormones during the daytime and their body is kind of like a bit frazzled from the stress yes so you're you're better off to like again I'm always like I'm, I love the L- notebook or the journal for clients and I'd say to them why not sit down and go like where where are my best opportunities to eat during the daytime? And you can even map it out maybe in a 10 hour window. So you'd have a 14 hour fast for women. That's a nice time. And then for like example, you're saying to me, God, like having the big dinner in the evening time doesn't seem to suit me because I'm getting sugar cravings afterwards. Um, you know that if you're fine in that, you could have a lighter meal. You could swap out the potatoes for some green vegetables or salad. Um, see how you feel. Then see how your cravings are. Maybe add in some extra healthy fats.
5: Yeah. Um,
7: you know it's hard as well because if you have a trigger, like a trigger is something that when it occurs, it makes you want to do something. So if you're a person who watches the soaps, sitting down watching television, and um, and that triggers you to want biscuits and tea. You have to try and break that <laughs> habit. And for me, I watch a lot of things on my laptop while I'm making the dinner or cleaning. So I don't miss anything. But I might just sit for a few hours in the evening watching television. I might get out for a walk with the dogs instead. And then I won't be craving chocolate. I
3: have you. I have you. You need to adjust everything. So it's it's about management of your food rather than long, agonizing fasting yeah. sessions.
7: Yeah, and like it feels feels good, like it'll happen naturally if you, um, they're called macronutrients, your protein, your carbohydrates and your fats. So if you kind of keep more, when you're more active, you can have more carbs and when you're less active, your body will feel better, kind of running off fats and it'll help you fast better as well. So even like, um, you know, having some nice broccoli and cauliflower, a little bit of butter and cheese butter and cheese would have fats in it rather than having the potatoes you'll feel different afterwards and it's interesting because it happens immediately in that you don't have to eat that style dinner for a few days in a row to start noticing your energy stabilizing it happens immediately when you change your food it's that instant okay
3: we, we might give us a go. You'd never know. Dave, thanks very much for being with us on The Opinion. And Dave Bork, is a nutritionist. This is the thing these days. People are doing this 16-8. What we'd always say is consult your doctor if you're about to embark on any kind of a dietary regime. Talk to your doctor. Talk to an expert of some kind. Don't just... Dr. Michael Mosley was the man who invented the 5-2 diet and then the whole fasting Sixteen eight thing, you eat for eight hours of the day. So I had my breakfast this morning at half six, um, and I had like I had it every morning: it's cereal, coffee, and two boiled eggs. That's what I have every morning. And by the sixteen eight, I should eat again now about maybe half two, or I should stop eating at half two. But I don't go to bed until maybe eleven o'clock. I'd be flipping starving by then. But that apparently is how it works. House insurance, we all have to deal with it every year. Um, I do ours through the mortgage company. It probably cost me a bit more than doing it myself, but at least it's there and it's reliable to pay it every month and all that. But it's going up and down. Some of them are mostly going up. Sarah Fitzgibbon, good morning. You are living out in Ballanlock, they tell me. Good morning.
8: Good morning, PJ. Yeah, yeah I'm living in Ballonlock.
3: Okay. Now, your house insurance has gone up big time.
8: Uh, well, Do you it's have doubled. a radio on there, uh, by the way? Uh, I don't, no.
3: Okay, no, that's grand.
8: Are we all right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it doubled from uh, from last year to this year. Um, so when I got the renewal notice uh, last month, it was twice what I had paid last year.
3: Crikey. Yeah. Twice.
8: <laughs> so that's exactly what I said, yeah.
3: So had you a claim in between?
8: No nothing at all no difference at all sure, you know nothing much had happened uh, in in um, to do with the house or anything at all in that time and so when I did eventually uh, phone them and I was told that they'd phone me back and had to phone them again they phoned me back finally, I was told that apparently now the house is uh, a flood risk so in a year apparently my now my house is now an area of
3: Sorry. Flood uh, risk. where 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 do you live?
8: Uh, so it's in um, Ballenloch, so uh, not too far from uh, the Taoiseach's own house. Okay, um, so you've been right,
3: you're, you're being that in. If, if, if that part of Ballenloch ever actually floods, Sarah, we're all goosed.
8: We're all doomed. Yeah, that's what I was saying to him. Um, So, you know, it's not down near a river. It's not near, um, you know, a lake. It's uh, elevated. Uh, no reason at all that I can tell. Yeah. why, they, why no, they've suddenly decided no, no. Look, a I
3: live risk. up in Maryborough Hill and they also told me a couple of years ago I was a flood risk I said, lads, oh, an arc to an ark I'll be building
8: yeah. <laughs> yeah And then when I asked where, how do they make these you know, determinations where do they get this information from I was told that this was not something that could be released that these are their the data that they work off you know, is, uh, uh, not, not to be made public. Um, but I was saying, well, I want to know if my house is about to be flooded yeah. um, and should I tell my neighbours? Um,
5: yeah.
8: But uh, anyway, and of course, as these things work out, then after the multiple conversations, they were able to knock an amount off the price yeah. for me, yeah. uh, which they are always amazingly able to do once you ask them, um, which begs the question, well, why don't they just take off that amount before they send you the renewal notice?
3: Because you know the reason. So many people will just pay it anyway.
8: Exactly, exactly. Um, but as I say, to, to, to have to pay twice uh, what yeah. you paid 12 months ago uh, with no material changes that I could tell to either the house or where it was situated. Yeah. The house hadn't moved, yeah. um, but uh, that was that was the story.
3: Wow. Well, it, it, it beggars belief doubling it in a year and calling where you live a flood risk area is just absolutely... Bunkers. Now we're hoping we might be able to get insurance expert. On at some stage to put that question mm-hmm. to them. You, did you manage to knock it down anywhere near where it had been, or did you just did you just have to come? No, I, I the,
8: basically we kind of met met halfway. Basically, you know, so um, so it was still you know half the amount again of what I paid last year, but it was less than what they had originally asked me for.
5: Right.
8: But I mean, it's still not very satisfactory. And again, I suppose lots of people in Cork would have the um, experience of you know being a subsidence risk, and this would have been a thing that would have come up um, for the house in the past. Yes. Um, which limits the number of, of companies that will insure... And are you covered for subsidence? And gardens? I was used to that. Well, he, uh, what he was saying was that the subsidence risk has now been superseded by this flood risk. <laughs> you man, um, Jack, still so together,
3: I, you are, you poor woman.
8: Exactly. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, so I don't know what happens if, if there is subsidence and the house has been, you know, underpinned and all of those things. We we knew that risk. Um, but the, the flood risk, uh, you know, if I get flooded, I still don't know if they'd actually cover for it after me... Paying them 150% of what I paid them last year, I still don't think that they would cover if it did flood. So. It's mad. Absolutely and there's no there's no competition in the, in the market, you know, so that's the difficulty.
3: We're going to see why this is happening and we'll see if we can get an expert on the show to talk about why this should happen and the crazy situation, Sarah, thanks, the crazy situation that where you live is deemed a flood risk, or it's if it ever floods there, like we're back in Noah's time. I do know where Sarah lives. If you ever get a flood up there Lads, we're going to We're going to work in in rowboats Like, it's it's crackers
5: Can we just
1: talk
0: The Opinion Line On Cork's 96FM With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group Call in person or call them now They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie The
0: lines are live And we're ready to talk Can we just talk Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
3: The
0: Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: On Cork's 96FM.
3: If you're one of those people that is back in the office after 18 months at home on the kitchen table or up on the bedroom doing the best you can, from home then welcome back to the office we have a few of our 96fm family will be coming into us this week uh, a day a week to begin with and then maybe increasing over a period of time we're excited to see people there are people i work with in this building i've worked here for god knows how long now i haven't seen them in a year and a half and we've missed them all it will be great to see them back but it's it's a whole change if you've gotten used to working at the kitchen table and if you've gotten used to dropping the kids off and you know sitting there in your jammies and slippers with the shirt on for the Zoom meeting you know if you've gotten used to that it's a bit of a wrench for you also you forget that Christ what's like trying to get a parking space or the traffic in the mornings or everything is so crazy so are you happy or not about actually coming back into the office would you prefer Stay at home if you want to stay at home. What are your rights? Because I heard an interview yesterday on the radio where a guy said, I think he was a solicitor, he was a solicitor. He said, Actually, your boss has the right to decide where you do your work. So, just because you can do your work really well at home, your boss can order you back into the office under legislation. I'll check all that in a little while. I also want you to think about something and this is just a by the by we're not going to do anything huge on it but I saw last night some video of that protest outside Leo Bradker's house um, and I thought what disgusting carry on what absolutely disgusting carry on not only should anybody's house be out of bounds like the first person whoever protested outside my house if they ever did, would get the power holes, And I mean it, the power holes I would have no qualms about it. But someone's house, politician or anybody, should be out of bounds anyway. But if you find the video on social media, please don't share it. But some of the things that were being said and claimed, I personally, if I was Leo Varadkar, I'd sue those people until they hadn't a cent left, until they hadn't an arse left in their trousers or a soul left in their shoes, I would sue them. Disgusting carry-on. Despicable carry-on. Never acceptable under any circumstances. A disgraceful carry-on. Just saying. 1850 715 Interesting piece in The Examiner uh, over the last few days, quoting what it calls the Great Resignation. The what? The Great Resignation. It seems new research finds almost half of Irish workers are planning to quit their jobs. Now, this survey tracked 3,500 people around Ireland, the US, Canada and the UK and found that's a kind of an international feeling. 42% of Irish workers intend to resign within the next 12 months. That figure was 21% before the pandemic. Why are so many people looking to quit their job. Uh, Dr. Sarah Kieran is a lecturer in human resource management at the Kemi Business School. Sarah, good morning to you.
9: Good morning. How are you doing?
3: Good. That's an incredible figure. Why would so many people be thinking about packing in their job?
9: Well, I think that the first thing we have to consider is the word they're thinking of. So it's a desire. It's not necessarily happening. Right. Um, But so people have a desire to um, move their job. And I think what that's, it's being referred to as, as the great resignation. But I think what it really is, is the great experiment. I think we are living through a social experiment with regard to the world of work today. Um, It was coming for a long time in terms of how technology is enabling us now work in much more flexible ways Mm. and I think what's really interesting, uh, research we've been doing in the Work Futures Lab here in the Kemi Business School for the last three years, prior to COVID, we had already identified that technology in the workplace was all being leveraged for the customer's benefit. So think of banking online, shopping online, 24-hour service. Um, customers were benefiting from the technology, but employees were still stuck in the this rigid mode of work with shift patterns or nine to five, or worse still, your job is supposed to end at five, but because the customer is on the phone, you have to stay until seven until the customer's problem is resolved. So technology wasn't really being used to help employees, Mm. but COVID changed all that because with the pivot in the workplace, so many office workers having to move home, There is now a pushback against employers and organisations that, look, I have worked well from home. Mm. The government have recognised this. We have the right to request to continue to work from home. And there's a little bit of a power battle happening now between leaders, managers, companies and their employees who Mm. are waking up to the reality that technology can benefit employees as well.
3: Because we found ourselves, I suppose, corralled into working from home quickly some people had never done it before and had to learn to do it over a period of weeks maybe even days and then after the 18 months of it a lot of people are realizing okay it's much easier for the home it's much easier for the family I can do everything I'm required to do I can meet all my deadlines attend all of my meetings through things like zoom and teams so why would I want to go back into the office
9: Absolutely. And, and that's a really interesting question. Why would I want to go back into the office? Because this is what organisations are struggling with. Um, we should want to go back into the office to some extent because a lot of work is so dynamic, interactive. Mm. It's social um, and it should be because that's where innovation and creativity and real teamwork comes from. So organizations are really struggling with this because they're asking themselves so many questions Um, first of all they might be dealing with managers who are very traditional and outlook and they want all the employees back because it's easier to control people when you can see them. So there's these issues of control and trust. Can we trust people to work at home in the long term? Mm-hmm. Um, it's as if organisations were forced to trust employees during the pandemic. And now that that's slipping mm-hmm. away, These issues of trust are emerging, but then when their employees don't want to come back in, they're questioning why, what is it that's missing in the office? Um, And look, we all know that the ideal is very likely this this hybrid work model where employees figure out what works for them in their Mm -hmm. domestic situations and organisations figure out, well, we have to give them a reason to come in. They have to value their time in the office and it has to be rewarding for them personally and professionally.
3: Because the question will be, if John and Mary are two employees and John has to do A, B, C and D and Mary has to do X, Y, Z and W and they're both delivering... On everything they're required to do, Mary is quite happy to come back into the office, but John has said, well, you know what? I'm quite happy at home. If you need me in on a Friday for a few meetings or a Monday for a few meetings, then we can do that. But I want to stay at home. And does it matter if John is doing A, A, B, C and D at four o'clock in the morning in his dressing gown as long as it gets done?
9: Oh, absolutely. And this is what's shifting. It's like it's, it's a power battle between organisations and employees, but it's organisations needing to wake up to the reality that how we have viewed work has been, um, has exploded. (laughs) You know, we viewed work as being a certain time in a certain place, Mm -hmm. and that's not true anymore. Work is is kind of boundless now. There are no more boundaries in terms of time or space. There are so many parts of most jobs. Now, it's really important that we acknowledge this is not all jobs. We are very much talking about office workers who can work off a laptop, and that's only a certain um, percentage of the workforce. But um, for those that can, um, it's not time bound. It's not place bound. As long as the work is done, the work is done. It's. But there are other parts of our job that are more uh, dynamic, more social, more kind of uh, discourse based. We need to talk to people. We need to figure things out. We need to brainstorm. Mm. And it's figuring out how do we bring people together, where do we bring them together, Um, because you can do this virtually as well, you know, you can have meetings and and get real interaction going on a meeting Um, but we also don't want to lose the essence of coming together as teams and there's a lot of organizational culture and identity that's bound up in that. Um, But it's figuring out when to do it and getting John and Mary, as you refer to them, wanting to do it at the same time. Um, And it's also interesting, I like your your, your, um, non-gender biased view that John is the guy who will want to be at home and Mary will be in the office because it actually brings up another really interesting question is that very often it's Mary that will stay at home because of women still to this day taking the lion's share of the domestic tasks. Mm. So there is a real worry that it's the Marys of this world that will end up choosing to stay at home and all the Johns will still be going to the office. And that actually sets us back, you know, 30 years in yeah. terms of gender yeah. diversity in the workplace. It,
3: it's just, um, it's, it's purely natural, it comes to me, because I worked at home I worked right. out, of, out of home yeah. almost entirely for five or six years before I did this yeah. job. While my missus attended college, so yeah. <laughs> do you yeah. know,
9: yeah, and it's great. It's it great to see and uh, hear those stories. Do you know,
3: and, and it, it, it just came natural to me. So I, I, yeah. I suppose, I'm probably different that way. But do, do you think that the one, like, for a business, surely it costs it cuts down on property costs, it cuts down on rent, it cuts down on all sorts of things to have your workforce at home.
9: Absolutely, there are huge cost, operating cost benefits in terms of even capital infrastructure like buildings or just lighting, heating. Now, there are additional costs to people working from home as well, because you do have to provide them with equipment to work at home. So, yeah. you know, if they need not every employee had a laptop, for example. Um, and there's also health and safety concerns in terms of the setup people have at home. Um. You know, do they have a proper desk? Do yeah. they have a chair with arms on it so that they're sitting comfortably? So there is an additional outlay in terms of ensuring your employees have a safe space to work in and you know that brings up another point as well that we cannot assume everybody has a safe space at home and we have to be really really careful that we're not taking an elitist view of work that everybody has a home office you know a lot of younger people are in house shares there's a lot of office workers living in cramped accommodation Mm.
3: that's particularly Um, why i mentioned the kitchen table
9: yeah, yeah. You know, we, we have to be as a society, while this is a social experiment, not just for the organisation and the employee, this is a social experiment for how we want to build um, and design good okay. quality work experiences that are open for everybody. So why working while working from home creates huge op- opportunities for diversity, it also has some restrictions. Um, and we don't have all the answers yet. I think we need to go slowly and steadily and very thoughtfully um, into how we all figure this out. And okay. it's not just for organisations to figure out. They need to be listening to their employees very, very carefully.
3: It's a time for much thinking and much interaction, I suppose, between employees and employers as we go back to some kind of normal. That's uh, good to have you on the programme on the Opinion Line. That's uh, Dr. Sarah Kieran from the uh, Chemie Business School Lecturer in Human Resources Management. If you are back in the office for the first time in 18 months, how does it feel if you're going back, say, tomorrow or Wednesday or Thursday how do you feel? Are you nervous about it? Do you have? Have you got the collie wobbles? Have you got the butterflies in the stomach for going back to the office? And if you have, why have you? Like there'll be people you haven't seen in months. You must be dying to see them. But what you know? What? How do you feel about it? And the I said the idea of coming into town for the first time in eighteen months and trying to get a parking space—that's uh, a nightmare. <laughs> It's a living nightmare, I can imagine. And the bus, well, yeah, the bus is fine. And walk up, walk from town to the office or walk from the bus stop to the office. That's fine. But what happens if it's pouring rain in the morning? All those things going through your mind. You got very comfortable at home for the last 18 months. Now you got to go back into the office. How do you feel about that? And what are your rights? We'll discuss that next. Can we just
0: talk? The opinion Line on Cork's
3: 96FM. With McCarthy
1: Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie
0: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix.
1: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. For the best tunes, crack on the radio, entertainment and showbiz keeping you up to date with everything that's happening in Cork make sure your afternoon is with me from 12 on Cork's 96FM.
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Call
3: us now, 1850-715-996. On Courts, 96 FM. So to the argument about your boss wants you back, and you're saying, but look, I've been doing everything that you require of me at home. Yeah, but I want you back in the office Monday morning. That's just it. There's the starting point. Does your boss have the right to demand that if your productivity and your attendance and everything has been spot on from home, Does your boss have that right? I heard this discussion yesterday on Radio Somewhere, and I thought I heard a solicitor saying, actually, your boss has the right to decide where you do your work. So I think that's a good point at which to bring in uh, John Boylan from BDM Boylan Solicitors. John, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. John, is it a case that your boss has an absolute right to decide where you do your work?
10: Um, Yes, um, not quite absolute. There's no right... Um, to home working at the moment, PJ. Um, The only exception is that the boss has a duty of care to provide a safe place of work, and there's a protocol which was brought out by the government as regards what constitutes a safe place of work. Um, And once that that protocol is, is, is adhered to by the employer, then the employee, if they have no reason for not coming back to work, like a medical or otherwise, uh, the vast majority of people have no right at the moment to home working, and they must go back to the workplace.
3: Mm. Even if they've been doing everything required of them and filling all their deadlines and doing everything that, that that's necessary for the past 18 months, if the boss wants them back, they still must go.
10: Absolutely. And, and you'll see actually, I've seen some employees have from uh, bigger companies have sent in letters that they've got. Uh, some employers have just sent out a letter to all their employees, please report back for work on Monday. Uh, we're back in the we're back in the factory or wherever we are, and and we're starting again from there. And uh, that, by the way, I wouldn't agree with. I think I think what's very important for employers is to consult and talk and make sure that the employee is okay, make sure that their health is okay, make sure that they're organised. It would be better. It's more empathetic. It's more human to do that. But at the moment, the law is there's no legislation saying otherwise. They're talking about it down the line. I don't I don't envy the people who are going to make up legislation to deal with this subject because it's a minefield, PJ. Mm. Um, but at the moment, there's no right to home working by an employee.
3: What about hybrid, John? A lot of people have worked hybrid that needed to be in the office for a period of time and they worked the rest of the week at home. Or in my case, for example, I do half the day here and the other half at home. Suits me down to the ground. Any, Any any rights with regard to hybrid yeah. working
10: Um that, that that's that's a very really good question the, the answer is no if it started in the pandemic which was an emergency pj and under people's contracts uh, that you know that would be catered for or it would be catered for by the law however if you are um if you're if you're if you're if you're how would I say this if you're before the pandemic and you were working part time. That can't be taken off you. And right. um, the law between employers and employees is that you cannot unilaterally change somebody's terms of employment right. without consultation.
3: Right. And and stuff brought in during the pandemic was an emergency, so it doesn't really exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't count. John, vaccination is a, is a touchy one because I don't have a right to know as an employee. I don't have a right to know whether my colleague at the next table. Uh, has been vaccinated. And I might be worried about that. That's going to bother people.
10: It is. And it is bothering people. And it's a huge minefield as well. Um, And also the government haven't helped by saying in their return to work protocol that an employer is entitled to ask whether somebody has been vaccinated or not. But the data protection body commissioner has said they're not entitled. So there are mixed messages there. um, And that's causing huge problems, PJ. And you know, there's there's issues between staff already and employees already. You know, sitting beside each other, sitting on the same floor. Mm-hmm. Do you put all? Do you put all employees who are not vaccinated in the same area? It's it's getting very fraught, and it's it's it's. Um, luckily, in this country, it's not as bad as other countries because, I think, we're over 90% now mm-hmm. over 16 years of age who are who are vaccinated.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you, you, you'll always have the one, and I think what's bothering people more is not so much, well, look, Mary doesn't want to get vaccinated, and that's her own business. We kind of accept that, but we don't know whether Mary is vaccinated. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know whether they're vaccinated or not. There's seven or eight people working in the office. We don't know which one of them is vaccinated. Not so much for me, what about my vulnerable relative, my vulnerable, my vulnerable child? Do you know? It's, I, it's very
10: difficult. It's very difficult. America, who, which has much more strict employment laws, it's no vaccination, no work. Um, in Ireland, uh, the, the data protection commissioner has trumped the protocol. A protocol isn't isn't legislation or it not law, so protocol doesn't really stand up much. Yeah. So the data protection commissioner said you cannot ask an employee whether they've been vaccinated or not, and then even an employee. Who asks another employee, "Are you are you vaccinated?" and finds out that they're not vaccinated? If the second employee goes to the employer and says, "Oh, by the way, uh, Mary on floor four is not vaccinated," well, the employer can't do anything about it.
3: Yeah, I was just about to ask that because we know that under the 2005 Health and Safety at Work Act, like you said earlier on, John, you're entitled to a safe place to work. But if That's you right. if you're in an office where Mary or Sean or Tom isn't vaccinated. That might not necessarily be a safe place to work.
10: That's a very good point, and, and that's why um, this will have to be decided by the Workplace Relations Commissions and, and various cases. Because if somebody uh, makes a stand and says that, you know, I'm not happy um, with the work situation at the moment, the test is subjective, PJ. It's not what an ordinary person thinks is. is is wrong or right. If an employee has a genuine subjective view that they're not safe or that they're not safe in a particular place, um, and as you said yourself there, maybe they're vulnerable... Uh, they have a medical condition themselves, or they have vulnerable um, parents, or whatever. Well, then it's going to be very fraught, and it's going to be very difficult. And um, uh, but it isn't catered for in legislation; it isn't allowed for in legislation. Um, you and I have discussed on the program previously the, 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 the act you mentioned, the Sa- Safety and Health Act. That is the only act in 2005 that applies here, which is obviously well pre-pandemic. Mm. And uh, it's it's not it's like it's not um, what's the word for it. It's not, it's the only thing that will cater for that thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and Section 27 the-
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a
11: thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, you get 30, how you get 20, 20, 20, you get 20, 20, you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
9: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
10: I don't want to get too technical now. Mm. So that if the employee has uh, a view that there is an imminent, a serious and imminent danger at work. Under Section 27 of that Act, they would be entitled, o- only in those circumstances, mm. serious and imminent danger, would they be entitled to stay out of work. P-P. I
3: can see test cases uh, coming, Coming, John. I really, I really can. Here's another one which I wasn't expecting to see, but if someone wants to go back to the office this week and their employer doesn't want them to come back...
10: Um, that's a very tricky one, um, that That is completely down to their contract. So, you know, every employee, when they start a job, they're supposed to get a contract within one month. The rules of engagement are in that contract. And if the employee wants to come back to work, they need to look at that and see what the contract says. Most of the time, the place of work is defined, mm-hmm. as we'll say, you know, Oliver Plunkett Street or whatever that the office is in Oliver Plunkett Street and in those circumstances that employee would be entitled to come back to work by pointing out look there was an emergency the emergency the government have said is over as of today and um, my contract says my place of work is here I insist on in coming back to here and they would be back they, they would be entitled to come back and you know it, it's 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 a it's I, uh, f- for the third time I go to say it's a minefield there's, a, there's a lot of stuff go- going coming down the tracks mm. technology you know technology is getting more and more sophisticated and um, the people who are working from home the hybrid model that you mentioned is quite clearly the best model working permanently from home is going, to, you know, is going to cause difficulties down the line in that mm-hmm. you're going to lose your interpersonal skills to some extent. It's not dealing with customers. It's not dealing with fellow staff. It's kind of a, an effect on you, kind mm-hmm. of an effect on your work skills. But the hybrid model is what everybody is advocating for. And that model will have to be looked at pertaining to each individual type of work. John,
3: lastly, if you were advising government, if someone said to you, Mr Boyle, you're a lawyer specialising in employment law and we're about to write a whole new load of legislation on people's rights in the workplace f- post-pandemic, give me three things that they absolutely need to do.
10: Um, the first thing I think they need to do is have huge consultation between the employer and employees. I mean, that is the most important thing. The second thing is have respect, I mean, for each other's wishes and look at it. And I think the third thing would be, you know, make sure that they take good advice for both sides so that either the the, the employees might go to a union, the employer might go to, to take advice from a solicitor or from IBEC or wherever and get good advice. But the most important thing is not to do it in the dark, PJ. If people go off and they try and bully their way to a certain resolution, there's going to be people moving jobs and they lose a lot of staff. Uh, it won't work.
3: All right, Margie, John, always a pleasure to have you on the opinion line. John Boylan from BDM Boylan Solicitors. But that thing, your boss has the right to decide where you do your work and the right to tell you where you do your work. That's just how it is. The bit that bothers me, and I got to say it, look, everyone knows where I stand on vaccinations. I have no problem with the British or American concept of no jab, no job. I have no problem with it. None. In the middle of a global pandemic. Hate me if you want to. I don't. The idea, though, that you've eight or nine people in an office, one of them isn't vaccinated or has refused to be vaccinated. You don't know which one of them it is. You're not entitled to know which one of them it is. And then even if you do find out who is, if it's Mary or John or Tom or Philip... I'm not vaccinated, I wouldn't be bothered at that You then have no rights That's the bit that troubles me
5: Can we just talk
3: the Opinion Line on
0: Cork's 96FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See MIG.ie.
0: Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your
1: guide to nightlife
7: on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Following sold-out shows at Cork Opera House in 2018-19, one of Ireland's most successful DJs, Jenny Green, returns to Leaside to play a late-night headline show, during the Jazz Festival on Saturday, 23rd of October. Access All Areas. Ed Sheeran has announced his
0: Mathematics Tour taking place in stadiums throughout 2020. The tour comes to Porky Queve on
7: Thursday, April 28th, with tickets on sale from Saturday morning.
0: Access All
7: Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition, or gig
2: coming up, or any live streaming events by emailing us at AAA at 96FM.ie.
1: Access all areas
0: Your guide to nightlife
1: on side On Cork's 96 FM
0: Where was I?
3: (laughs) Sorry, I completely lost my place there when I was coming back to you trying to do 101 things in the ad break Yeah, uh, Bernie says I agree 100% with PJ and it's not just work colleagues should be protected by no jab, no job What about customers in customer facing jobs? Many of us are vulnerable and are worried about going into shops and restaurants and cafes, etc., etc. And on working from home, why is nobody addressing the elephant in the room? I'm terrified of going back to work because of bullying. The last 18 months have been blissful. My health and confidence has improved, but now I'm so stressed at the very thought of seeing that person again. Well, you say elephant in the room... But fair play to you for drawing up the idea because, or draw, drawing up the point because I wouldn't have thought of it. And we didn't think of it here. But what if you have a difficult relationship with someone at work uh, bullying or otherwise and you've not had to see them for the last 18 months, you, you've gotten on without them. And now you're facing seeing them again. That could be very worrying for you. Uh, Paul says, why does it bother people so much? Uh, because vaccinated people can pass on the virus too it's people democratic, vi- democratic right not to get vaccinated Monica says I feel the same way PJ it's unfair on vaccinated workers vaccinated people can pass on the virus too yes they can Paul yes they can but you know what they've done they've actually at, at least had a bit of responsibility to try and prevent it and don't give me that. don't give me this democratic right BS please sorry no. Y- yeah it's your right it is your right if you don't want to get vaccinated fine it is also my right not to want to be in the same room as you. 1850 There's a very strange story, or an interesting story rather, before the High Court uh, at the moment. It's a French woman who was wanted in her native country over her refusal to comply with a court order to allow her former partner access to their children. Now that case is before the High Court in Dublin. She's facing jail in France because she refuses to let her former partner have access to their children and now there's a European arrest warrant seeking her surrender back to France to serve that jail time. Now, the children in question are not minors. They, In fact, they're in their late teens and early 20s so one of them at least is an adult at this stage. But the case is still ongoing, so she effectively is facing jail in France for refusing access to her ex-partner, to their children. And you wonder, do we have laws like that here? Karen Tobin is a divorce and family lawyer, and to come and kill her Tobin and joins me. Karen, good morning.
12: Good morning, PJ. It seems
3: like a fairly far-reaching element of French law. Do we have laws like that here?
12: We do, yes, there's, like, they're mirrored, all orders made in Europe now are, are to be recognised within the EU. So we do have those enforcement mechanisms in this jurisdiction also.
3: So if an ex refuses access to the children and decides to do a flit across to Spain, we can follow them legally?
12: Well, if you have a court order, mm with court-ordered access, then you you can. You contact the central authority, which is the Department of Justice and Equality, and they will put you in contact with the central authority in the country where they've, as you've turned it, legged it to. They will assist you in bringing the applications to enforce the court order.
3: So, so there is a starting point if you find yourself in a situation like that then?
12: Provided that you have a court order. If you don't have a court order and you just simply have an agreement with your ex then you'll have to bring an application in the country where your ex and the child are residing.
3: What I'm hearing there, Karen, is if you are splitting up with someone and look, relationships end every day of the week. If there are children involved, you're better off to get a legally enforceable order.
12: Yes, you are. De- without a doubt, there's no doubt about that but then you can enforce it, if not you have to start in a foreign jurisdiction and you don't know what the court process is there and you will have to get a lawyer in that country where it'll all be very alien and foreign for you Yeah,
3: in terms of things like holidays and stuff like that like, can I prevent my ex from taking my children or our children to another country without my consent
12: Again, if you have a, a court order it if you have a court order, you can have an order saying that you know that your consent would have to be obtained for them to be taken out of the jurisdiction
3: right yeah because a number of years ago I remember just reading out a letter from a man uh, who had a difficult situation and we were absolutely inundated with similar calls and messages about people in difficult situations but'm I'm, what I'm hearing very clearly from me, Karen is if a relationship breaks up, sit down with one another's lawyers, draw up. An agreement and have the court make it make it mandatory.
12: Yes, and it, you know if there is a concern that your partner may not return, it, you know, with you know going on foreign holidays, there's a, you know concern that the partner will not return. That order should. State that the habitual place, the normal place of residence, is the child, so that if there's any difficulty, a court in another country will recognise that that child should be brought back. You can also have safeguards as well for passports, you know, that if you did have a concern that the child wouldn't be returned have the passport held by the district court office or the guards or a solicitor's office and it shouldn't be released then without evidence of return flights Yes. so there's yes. some measures that can be put in place, it's yes. not a, a, a complete guarantee but there are protective measures that can be put in place
3: I suppose where this is most important would be if if one of the, par- if, the if the partners are different nationalities and moreover if the, it, maybe if a, if a divorce was granted in another country, that could be very complicated
12: Well, you have to be notified if a a divorce is going to be applied for in any country. You have to be notified of those proceedings and a a court would require proof that the person has been notified. If you want to defend or make representations, then you should contact a lawyer in the country where the proceedings are initiated. But you have to be notified. No order should be made without you being notified.
3: No order should be made without you being notified. And and it's obviously very important to have... To have orders, I think, is what's my what's what's most important.
12: It, it is. Otherwise you have to invoke you have to invoke the court process if you don't have an order. Okay.
3: okay.
5: You are, have to start maybe in a foreign to jurisdiction.
12: Get? They they're not difficult to get. If you bring a court application, a court, you'll either run you run your case before the court with your solicitor, you'll agree it outside. Um, of court with your legal representatives which the majority of them do and once they're agreed then they're made a rule of court so it is an order without having to go through the trauma of evidence. Mediation is also another um, is what's recommended a lot by the courts Mm. and lawyers and they they can be made legally binding as well so court order doesn't necessarily mean a big scrap before the courts Mm -hmm. it just means that you know some of them do result in that in, you know, having to run your case and be litigated, but the majority of them do settle Collaboratively,
3: I suppose. Yeah.
12: Yes, and then it's made a court order.
3: Gotcha. Alright, okay. Listen, Karen, thanks very much. Karen Tobin uh, from Common Kelleher Tobin, she's a family lawyer. Um, it, it, it It's just, I remember that a couple of years ago, we read a letter from a guy who'd uh, gotten onto, onto the show about, he'd had a child with another woman here he was he was foreign i think yeah he was dutch he'd had a child with an irish woman and relationships had broken up as as they do but she wouldn't let him see her and she did everything in her power to stop him seeing her and that was just a very sad case but we were absolutely inundated with a, pe- a lot of men uh, very upset because their relationship had broken down as relationships do but they weren't being allowed to see their children uh, there were excuses being made that they couldn't see their kids, couldn't. And there's very solid advice from a lawyer get an order, or at least get a collaborative agreement between you that can then be stamped in the court as an order. 1850 996 on vaccinated or not vaccinated at work. Uh, Paula, I'm vaccinated, but I'm more concerned about inadequate ventilation in my workplace and sharing an open plan office with colleagues who don't wear masks. That's another concern. Uh, Why are care workers allowed this privacy about vaccination? It's a mixed picture, but there are people caring for those at high risk from COVID and they are not vaccinated. Surely we have a right to know about that. 1850-715-996.
5: Can we just talk?
0: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie I E.
3: Hannah works in a law firm So is it your own firm? Is it Hannah
1: and is Hannah?
2: It, no, it's not Hannah and Hannah, unfortunately <laughs>
1: Citroen is a car
0: company made by what country? You said France France was the correct answer no Objection <laughs> In the case of Casey and Ross in the morning versus the defendant Hannah, I find you the winner of
1: 2,000 euros. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want to do with the 2 grand? Um, well, I'm like six weeks away from having a baby, so maybe buy some baby stuff. <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. Nice. That, that is
0: fantastic.
1: Another winner. There you go. Go. A go.
0: two grand minute. Listen
3: to play.
1: At 7.40 and 8.40
3: every day. Casey and Ross in the morning.
1: On Cork's 96FM.
3: Quick, rem- quick reminder to join Premier League Live with Trevor Welsh Saturday afternoons on 96FM.ie, all powered by TalkSport. Live coverage of all of the Premier League games and the mat- post-match breakdowns and the analysis from Trevor and the guests every Saturday on the app or at 96fm.ie. Premier League Live online with now stream live Premier League action with the now sports or sports extra membership. And listen Saturday on the app or at 96fm.ie. Uh, Michael was on from Ballon College. was a car went on fire there in the last hour. Nobody in the car, thankfully. Great praise to be had or should be meted out to the fire brigade. Great response. A father and his little girl had only just gotten out of the car and went into the shop. And when they were there, the car went up on fire. That's scary for anyone around it, let alone the owners of the car. But the fire brigade did what they do and did it brilliantly and did it quickly. Thanks for that, Michael. 1850-715-996. We got this on Friday. Talking about students and parties and trying to deal with the student population around UCC. The small number of them that are determined to cause problems for the, settle, the local residents, the people who settled there years ago. So, let's, let's see what this has to say. It's not signed, but we do know who sent it. PJ, I know everyone is sick of hearing about the UCC situation... But my mother's house is near Gillaby Street. I lived there for 28 years, and I saw what went on, and the changes in society. I'm 35 years old before anyone complains about old fogies on the radio moaning again. I must stress that all the time I lived at home, the vast majority of students never caused an ounce of bother. But the minority give the rest a bad name. As I grew up there, I witnessed changes in society, and why the problems are so different these days compared to 20 years ago. Point number one. The students used to get dropped to their accommodation by their friends or parents on a Sunday evening and collected again on Friday back in the day because they couldn't all afford cars, let alone afford to go to the pubs at the off-licences. This gave the residents a break and their parking back at the weekend. Also, the students would take out two or three-year leases, And after the first blow off of steam, then they'd see and meet the residents around and they'd be told this is a residential area and nobody minded a party but finish at a reasonable hour. There were children getting up for school, people getting up for work and elderly people might be afraid of the noise. And the students and the locals would chat among themselves and they'd hold back the noisy behaviour as they felt they were part of the community and they'd be there for a couple of years. Now, the students appear to take out one-semester leases. And by the time you get through to one group, well, they've just moved on to somewhere else. Point number two. The landlords converted three-bedroom houses to six- and seven-bedroom houses by taking out the living rooms and extending into the gardens. That means the number of students has increased dramatically, along with the number of cars. Add to this that elderly residents have passed away And as no one would want to live next to the party houses, the families more often than not just sold the property to a landlord, and that further compounds the issue. Point number three. Back in the day, all these student properties would be vacant from May until September, meaning at least some semblance of normality would return for the summer. Now these properties are being advertised for summer lets as essentially party houses. The residents never had a problem 20 years ago with the students because of some of the reasons I've outlined. I realise the time moves forward and there's no going back. But if students try to respect the residents and the residents then give them some leeway for, say, freshers week and special occasions, there's no reason why they can't all coexist again. The landlords have a lot to answer for with the overpopulation of housing, and the college have to make examples of anyone that commits criminal damage or behaves in a criminal manner. The guards shouldn't be giving them a free pass because they might be doctors one day. I can't go breaking mirrors off cars or running up and down cars and kicking over bins, so why should they be able to get away with it? Cameras monitored in the area and installed by the Gardaí would also go a long way as a major deterrent. But I like the point that that note makes. That 20 years ago, they took the houses for two and three years. Maybe someone might get a house and they'd be there for a four-year degree and they'd move in for the four years and everyone's good. Now it's one semester at a time. You don't integrate into your local community. You don't realize, you don't, you know, you don't... It's changed a lot. And remember this guy's very first point. He's not an old fogey. He's 35 years old. He's just watched society change. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
1: Call 1850-715-996.
0: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: On Cork's 96FM. Interesting
3: point on the whole working from home and coming back from working from home back into the office caller says all the talk of the last couple of months takes no account of people who have to live at home with their parents it's a very unhealthy situation being at home all day parents don't get much freedom either thanks for that on masks Adrian says people treat charity shops with contempt as a lot of them won't wear masks coming in They put us all in danger with their ignorance. Are we different from other shops that they don't respect us? Well, I've seen a number of places recently, more recently than I had been seeing all along, no mask, no service. And I applaud that. I'm sorry, unless you have a medical exemption and can show that you have a medical exemption, no mask, no service. I have no difficulty with that, that ever was, until such time as we're asked or we're told we don't have to wear them anymore. Hi, P.J. Not really on the subject, but I work in a hotel. We recently had a couple turn up on the wrong date. I tried explaining that they'd booked the wrong date and we were fully booked that night. I went out of my way to find them a B and B in the area, and then told them they were more than welcome to join us for dinner. In other words, have dinner in our restaurant. I asked, did they have their vaccination passports with them, as our restaurant asks non-residents to be, and to have vaccination passports. They just scoffed at me and said no. I'm fully vaccinated, but I wear my mask for eight hours a day at reception. 1850 The Minister for Health has been saying in recent times, this is uh, Stephen Donnelly, um, he has been saying, if I can, where can I find, and to find it. He's looking at bringing in free contraception for people in the upcoming budget. Here it is. Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has stated plans to introduce free contraception in budget 2022. The announcement comes just a few days after France made a move to offer free contraception to women under the age of 25 from next year. Now contraception is relatively cheap by all accounts. I mean, the pill costs about 250 to 300 quid a year, I think, to keep yourself on. But the kind of arguments that's not really the point. Uh, Cork GP, Dr. Anya Murphy has been writing about this in the examiner and joins me now. Anya, good morning to you.
13: Good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on the show. Delighted. Uh, Standard
3: contraceptive pills are are relatively cheap in in the grand scheme of things, but I think when, when you say that people say, well, that's not actually the point.
13: No, it's not the point, really. Um, they actually work out dearer in the long run. Um, where I suppose where we're coming from is like pills have a, a failure rate. They can be anything up to nine percent. And a lot of people would, um, if cost was removed as a barrier, would probably go for what we call the LARCs. They're the long acting reversible contraception. Okay. Um, they're actually far more cost effective. The coil the like or an upfront. implant. Yeah. The, yeah, the coils, which are devices put inside your womb, are the implant, or the implanon that can be put into the arm. They last anything from three years from an implanon or the, the smallest coil, a JDS, up to 10 years for some coils. Um, but the cost is up front between the physician and the pharmacy. It, it can cost anything up to 500 euros. But that could be for five, six years contraception gotcha. but it's a, the cost up front is a barrier, gotcha. whereas over the same five years of pills they could have twice three times even that paid out I in that your length point. of time I get your yeah. point. so five yeah.
3: 500 euro yeah. or maybe yeah, 500 euro for a coil sounds like an awful lot of money but in actual fact, the, the three to five years that might last, you spend an awful lot more on the pill, so so you believe Anya? that there should be a right to, to free contraception?
13: Well, yes, I think it, it, in this day and age, we were, I mean, there's already free cervical check and free and uh, medical abortions are actually fully funded by mm. the government, which is a bit of an anomaly because um, people are attending for medical abortions on either no contraception or on short acting less effective contraception or condoms and there and the, the barrier of the costs for more effective contraception is um is is an issue right. and after after an abortion consultation you really should be trying to sort out the contraception afterwards and people have failed to show up to have their coil fitted because they're still saving up for it, or worse, again, you're sending them off in the same contraception that let them down in the first place. I
2: see.
13: Um, And it's just a total anomaly that... um,
3: Mm. that, Where do do we stand internationally on it then in terms of other... I know France now, according to the piece I was just reading there, France intend to do it next year. Stephen Donnelly has said he wants to do it. Where do we stand internationally? I wouldn't
13: be too sure about all countries and stuff, but um, d- definitely uh, a lot of European countries do provide it, um, but I, I'm not 100% sure on that. There was a big study in the USA, ICE right, where when cost was taken away completely as a barrier, uh, 75% chose the more effective long-acting methods, the LARCs, and there was a significant reduction in crisis pregnancies and abortions as a result. And that reduction was 75% in teenagers.
3: You're a member of is- START, which is the Southern Task Force on Abortion and Reproductive Topics, which is quite a large group. So there's a consensus out there now, I think, among professionals, is there, Dr. Murphy, that, that it's time to look at this as a serious option, as a serious way of, I suppose, investing in women's health.
13: Exactly. Yes. Uh, when when we were when we were com- when the um, amendment was repealed, there was it would we were di- it was discussed at the time that contraception should go hand in hand with that funded contraception should be hand in hand with funded abortions. Um, but the, the contraception has been delayed. I, uh, obviously, COVID happened. We can't. It, we can't really. We can't blame that, really. Uh, but it was great news to hear that it's coming. That she's considering it in the next budget. Mm. My understanding is it's going to be phased. That we start with the under twenty fives and then bring it, the bringing it in for all age groups eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, now, under twenty fives are a group that they're near They're, they're students. Or they're in low income jobs. Yeah. Um, they really don't have, have any disposable income. And there was a study in UCC, it was only published earlier this year, that um, 34% of students would change their method of contraception if they, um, if, if cost was taken away as a barrier, uh, which yeah. is quite a significant figure.
3: Yeah, I see as well where <laughs> in, in the UK now, they've just made two pills, two particular pills available over the counter rather than by prescription. The pill is still by prescription in in this country. Is it time to start making it available over-the-counter, Doctor?
13: We don't think so. Um, But but uh, That's the progesterone-only pill. Uh, So the progesterone-only pill has very little side effects and very little contraindications. So I can understand why that has become over-the-counter and if that follows on here, so be it. But the regular combined pill... There are several contraindications to it. For example, if there's a personal history of clots or family history of clots, yes. um, or uh, migraines is another contraindication. Right. Uh, very high BMI. Um, so. So it's I, healthier I, for women to we, be
3: seeing their doctor every few months. Uh, keep, yeah.
13: Right. Yes. 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 So definitely, that should that one should stay um, yeah. physician based. Yeah.
3: Yes. And would would yeah. you envisage that if the if the The Minister was to go ahead with introducing free contraception that maybe the consultation will be covered as well
13: well yes I mean it, it I don't think there's any point in having a half and half mm. the consultation and the the pharmacy should be covered okay. for oh. all methods,
3: really well, yeah, we'll see where it we'll see where it comes or where it goes, rather. Uh, thank you very much. That's Dr. Olly Murphy. She's a GP in Cork. And Stephen Donnelly has said, the Minister has said, that he is moving to introduce free contraception for women under the age of 25 in budget of 2022. We shall see what happens. That budget is... Is it three weeks? It's around the 10th or 11th of October that way. Three weeks to the budget.
5: 1850-715-996. Can we just talk?
3: The Opinion Line on Corks
0: 96 FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
0: Cork's 96FM loves Irish music.
1: As part of Irish Music Month on Independent Radio across Ireland, we're looking for you to take part in our local hero talent
0: search. If you're in a band or a solo artist, you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM in October.
1: It's your chance to win an overall €5,000 prize fund, get your record released and have your music played on 25 independent radio stations across Ireland. For full details,
0: see 96FM.ie. Irish
1: Music Month. Proudly supported by Corks 96FM and Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund.
0: Corks 96FM.
3: Now earlier this morning I was talking to Sarah. Sarah lives in Ballinlock in, she wouldn't give me the exact location on air, but I know where she lives. It's a reasonably elevated area of Ballinlock and should it ever flood, it's an arc we are going to need. But her House insurance was doubling in price, and one of the reasons that they cited when she queried it was that she's a flood risk. Now she eventually managed to negotiate them down a couple of quid, but it's still gone up. And she's had no claims in the last number of years, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So she take all those boxes, and subsidence isn't an issue. So why did her insurance quote double in price? Uh, Let's go to Paul McCarthy at McCarthy Insurance. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Paul, why, first of all, would you say there was a flood risk in a place where you'd need an arc if there was a flood? I suppose
14: there's two things. When when I heard Sarah earlier, uh, there was two things that struck me. One was that she said that she was told that the premium uh, had increased because she was a flood risk. I think if she was a flood risk, they would have excluded floods. So I don't believe... Bell and lock, as you to be a flood risk. It's not the same as Keel isn't, but that doesn't mean that an, an insurer will decide that they're not, that they're increasing their premiums for whatever reason. Now, one of the main reasons that I understand from insurers is that during the pandemic, there has been lots of people at home and they're discovering leaks and whatever, and claiming against their insurance policies. Now that's anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally don't really see it myself here in Cork. So, um, but uh, as I said to somebody earlier this morning, who makes up these prizes? Prices? They are actuaries. They're in Dublin, and worse still, they're probably in an attic in Dublin or at the kitchen table in Dublin and distracted. And look, they just decide, you know, what's cork to them. We are very unlucky here in Cork. We have virtually no insurance company here with a headquarters that's actually looking after Cork. And that's a big disadvantage, I find it. Uh, I had to go to Dublin on Friday. Uh, Dublin was was like a ghost town in comparison to Cork. Cork is back. Cork is vibrant. Dublin, everybody's at home for some unknown reason at this stage. And I'm putting a lot of this down to that at at this particular point in time. Uh, and I really don't know. I'd like to know more about Sarah's situation so yeah. you can pass on her number to me, but in general, like what we find from Ballin Temple right up to Ballin Lock there, I come across subsidence problems and water problems, flooding problems that they're telling me are there, that their are insurers telling them that are there, and that we know nothing about them, and we have insurers who will cover those areas,
3: no mm. problem. Someone said to me one time that the, the, the flood... Classification is deemed from the ordnance survey map, for example, and because Cork has had a lot of city centre flooding, most notably recently in 2009, but sure we've had one nearly every year since in the city centre, for some reason they, they look at all of us as if we were in the city centre and they deem us all to be, to be a flood risk. But sure, that's daft. Google Maps would tell them that's not the case. You will, you see. Unfortunately, PJ, they're
14: not looking at Google Google Maps. I'm looking at Google Maps, OPW Maps, Maps and Flood Maps daily. The insurance companies use a thing called GO coding. I hate the word. I don't even know exactly. I've seen it, and you are correct. What it looks like if you looked at a map at the south of Ireland, it's like drawing a red line from the the Cork Harbour uh, the whole way over to Yall and down to Skibbereen, if you know what I mean, and then down to Bantry Mm. and every other inlet in the country, and deeming them to be flood risks. It's absolutely crazy. There is no in-depth knowledge. There's no underwriting going into this. And as the flood relief works go in, as they have in Mallow, my and now Skibbereen, I have been working tirelessly with insurance companies trying to get them to recognize these things. And it's like it's like trying to crack a, a nut with a sledgehammer. It's unreal.
3: Yeah. So what advice do you have for people like Sarah, Paul, who are getting their letters, their renewal letters? I Mine, mine is done through, through the mortgage company. Yep. I'm probably paying a little bit more than I should. But at the same time, it's nice and handy, goes out automatically every month. But for people who get their letters in the door and they're saying, hang on, twice as much in a year. what What's your advice? My advice, is, my advice is to seek advice. There are brokers like ourselves
14: around Cork who are quite happy to talk to you and give you advice on the matter. Don't accept the first thing you hear. Shop around. Everybody know that the, the Stoherty and um, uh, Michael McGrath introduced a new bill there last year called the Consumer Insurance Contracts Act. Yes. Which means that now, when you get your renewal in the door, all the information in relation to your policy must be on that renewal. Both before you renew it and after you renew it, you have to get the details. If there's anything excluded, ask questions immediately. That's what I'm saying. Ask the question. Make sure you have the cover, is number one, mm-hmm. price is number two. The cover is vital. You must make sure that you have the flood cover the subsidence cover, and any other cover that you re- require under the policy. If, if there's going to be something excluded, it has to be written there on the first couple of pages in, in bold. Otherwise,
3: mm-hmm. the insurance company is in trouble. Is there a tendency for people to take their house insurance a a little for granted. And what I mean by that is we we always wonder about our car insurance when it comes in and all this. We we, we look at our health insurance those of us who can afford it and we look for the best deal possible. But we tend just to see the the house insurance as either a letter and a cheque to be written or something that comes out of the mortgage. We tend to take little or no notice of it which isn't a good idea. Yeah, that's
14: absolutely correct PJ. Actually, I did a little survey myself there Uh, last week on uh, 60 renewals to discover only two people really checked their renewal out of the 60. That's a dismal figure when you think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of three or four out of 100. That's only 4%. That's very, very poor. People need to look at their renewal. They need to make sure. I'll give you a very good instance of that. I was dealing recently with a man that has the the facade of his uh, property here in the city, in the inner city, is listed. And accordingly, it wasn't noted on his policy properly, uh, the sums insured didn't reflect that. If anything happened at house, that man would be in serious under problems. Because listed properties, they could be uh, limestone, lentils, or uh, coving, the doors, the windows, etc. would all have to be replaced with, with items that would cost two and three times what your normal facade would cost. You add to that now, PJ, the total problem that we have now, and you saw it on the Claire Burn show the other night, anybody that saw that, that the cost of materials is going through the yeah. roof. Going through the roof. So you need, word this morning, you need to double-check your son's insurance. So everybody needs to look at their renewal notice and needs to check, have I enough there? Is am I covered for that, is the garage covered, Am I happy? Have I got everything? Is
3: What is a flood exclusion? I need to talk to somebody. Don't
14: take it for granted.
3: Yes, 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 yes. I, I, I'm, I had personal experience recently, Paul, and I, I would uh, wonder if I did exactly the right thing. We did a little bit of work on the house uh, last year, and what we ended up doing was putting a, putting a new bedroom out over what had been an existing flat roof. And when my policy renewal letter came in in July, I got a notion maybe I should ring them and tell them I've done this and I was right because they said yeah actually we need to rewrite this policy for you, now it didn't cost me a whole pile more, I think it went up by 40 quid but they were so grateful that I rang how important is it that if you have done some work on the house you let your insurance company know
14: it's absolutely vital PJ especially like something like that putting in a dormer putting in an extra bedroom, converting a garage, and you're dead right, like I gave you the example a minute ago, less than 5% of the people tell us. They assume. My my advice to everybody is assume nothing. Just take it for what it's written down on the policy. Um, as I said earlier, Michael McGrath and Pierre Starley did a load of work on this and said, yeah, if it's written down, it's there, and and we'll go by that. And that is putting the insurance companies... Under pressure, no doubt about it. Mm. So, But if it's not written down, you've got to check everything. Mm. And there you are, whether it's a three-bedroom, a four-bedroom, a five-bedroom, you must describe the house accurately. The other thing is the likes of flat roofs. I hate that word because in my book, it, it, you either have a standard roof or a non-standard roof. And what does standard mean? Is it slates, tiles, or asphalt? If, if it's not, and if there's timber in any direction, You need to tell your insurance company. Mm -hmm. Everybody assumes, I call it DIY insurance. We all assume we're like, ah, there's no problem there. And should the premium is closer than what it was last year, I'll just send them a check. That day is gone. You need to double-check. If we only do one thing this year, we must double-check our renewal notice when it comes in and make sure that we have
3: all the cover that we Mm -hmm. should have here in Cork. Quick call before I let you go, Paul. Is it a disadvantage if you have not renewed your insurance in a few years? Do they look badly on it? What is the best thing to do if if you Mm -hmm. haven't renewed in a few years? Yes,
14: yes is the answer to that. Would you believe during COVID it was nearly down to a month at one point? with a couple of insurance companies, I don't know what was going on in their mind, but like I always say, come and talk to us. If there's a reason, and there could be, well, a very genuine reason, the person couldn't afford it, Mm. right? Or something like that, or they felt there was no problem. Uh, And now look, things are changed, they've now retired or whatever, or they've now got a new job and they have more money and they want to insure their house. Always come and talk to us, don't accept the rejection of people saying I can't insure you because you hadn't the house cover for the last couple of years it, I always cringe when I pick up at one of the local papers and I see that there's a GoFundMe going on for some poor misfortune family that have had their house de- destroyed with fire mm. and they've had no insurance uh, it, uh, it kills me when I read something like that because it, it, you, they were only kind of 300 euros away from everything being made right yes
3: Yes, yes, yes. I know somebody. I know I know a couple of people that it happened to Paul. And that's very good advice. Sort out the house insurance and when you get the letter in, call a broker. Call McCarthy's. That's Paul from McCarthy Insurance. I call a broker and go through it with them. Uh, I remember when I rang, we just did a bit of work and I was just literally after paying the builders their final couple of quid. And I sat down and the house insurance letter had come in and it's fairly standard because it's all done through the mortgage company. That's okay. That's grand. That's grand maybe I should tell him about the bit of work we did and I rang up and I got onto this terrible nice fella and I said I don't know whether I should be making this call or not oh he said absolutely you should he said do me a favour just go through a few questions with me and the premium changed not by a whole pile but he said if you hadn't phoned me and told me and something happened to any part of the new extension in the next few years you wouldn't have been covered for any of it 1850-715-996 1850 Paul says, I changed to AXA from another company halved my policy price and increased the contents and the high value items and on UCC and that long note we read out about the changing times and the number of cars residents by UCC aren't giving out when they turn their gardens into car parks at 30 euro a week some can fit in 5 cars that's a handy few quid coming in every week 1850 996 We've been covering the Onakora Center story since midsummer. There's another chapter in it tonight with a public meeting. And I was down there last week. I'll let you hear what happened next. 1850-715-996.
0: Can we
5: just talk?
0: Opinion Line on Corks 96FM.
1: With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On
0: Corks 96FM.
3: So just to remind you, back in the summertime, we got word that the Onacora Centre in Middleton was to close. Uh, it will be closing at the end of October because the HSC had deemed the place to be unsuitable. It was brought to our attention by a couple of people. One was a Green Party councillor, Liam Quaid. The other was from a relative of someone who has been living there for the last number of years. And we've followed it up uh, as best we could ever since. Uh, but... I was down there last week and went down at the invitation of uh, some of the relatives to go down and meet them. And I walked around the place. And if it is a thing that the building needs to be closed or majorly refurbished or rebuilt, well, there's acres of space down there. There's a huge hospital complex. So the idea that all of the residents from Monocorra might need to be moved out somewhere else, like, for example, Sarsfields Court, it doesn't make sense because there's massive, massive... And that's just my view. I'm not an architect or a planner or anything like that, but I just looked at the space and said, you could do this here. Anyway, there's a public meeting tonight uh, in Middleton to discuss the latest situation. And as I said, at the invitation of uh, relatives and, indeed, residents, I went down there last week for a proper look for myself. Maureen, it was through you we first heard about the closure or the planned closure here Have you any more information now than you had then?
15: Um, No, really not. I have been relentless in my pursuit of information. And, for example, I wrote to the Taoiseach's office and um, that letter was passed on to the decision-makers at the HSE who passed back saying that, you know, the residents deserved better than what they had here. Uh, There is no better. But the point about it is as well, you know, there's been a continuous... Answer from the management of the HSE that they are communicating with residents and relatives and that has not been the case at all.
3: Some of the lads here are saying they've only been talking to people in the last week or two.
15: Yeah, we all got um, a phone call last Friday to set up meetings for this week. So I've had the meeting in which I was told, well, we have no further information. Mm. So I was just invited to talk, which I did for about an hour, mm. about the meaning of the centre.
16: The,
3: the, the statement that the HSE issued recently, we got a copy of it. It effectively said the place structurally mm-hmm. isn't fit for purpose yeah.
15: i appreciate that um and you know that there have been a number of changes of position there because in the letter that they sent us out first of all um they said that the mental health commission had advised on its closure and um, the mental health commission's report hadn't been published at the time when it was published on august the 10th and um, it said no such thing they didn't recommend closure in fact they praised the centre. And its compliance rate had gone up from eighty-three to eighty-seven percent this year. So I mean, the the idea that you would disrupt people, um, tear their lives apart, give them no an information, and just you know chuck them off as if they're inanimate objects to be put here, there, or you know to be put on a shelf somewhere else because it just doesn't suit. That's not good enough. Um, If the building is not fit for purpose, well, you can see there's land here. Construct another building. It's been done in other places, Mm. and the money will just have to be found. It'll probably cost a lot more in the long term, Mm -hmm. you know, to break the service up. But, I mean, nobody here got COVID. The staff were so, so careful.
3: That'll tell you something, doesn't it, about the quality of the the service, that you have a community here and yet there wasn't a single case of COVID from the start.
15: No, absolutely not. Wow. Um, Wow. That says something. It really does. And it also says something that, you know, that people didn't spiral into a depression, that there was enough of support Mm -hmm. for residents during a very, very difficult time. It's a very difficult time for people outside, but for people living here that, you know, were cut off from uh, so much outside contact that's so, so important to them, it just goes to show that the uh, the service is second to none.
11: So, Mickey, you've been living here in the centre for, for how long? Um, about 10 years. Right. Yeah. It's been good for me. Um, I've done a lot of creative work while I've been here. Um, I've been working on poetry and, and art, and um, a lot of it is near to completion now, and um, I'm hopeful about uh, the future. Yeah.
3: Are you worried about the closing of the place?
11: Well, yeah, I am. Um, we haven't been told where we're going, and um, we're not sure about the conditions of the places we might be sent to. What do you like about being here? Um, it's very central. Um, um, there's, there's, there's everything within reach and um, as well as that, um, the, the, the staff are great.
3: What's your day like here? What do you do with your day?
11: Um, I do a lot of prayer meditation during the day and there's groups they organise. It might be cookery groups, garden groups, art groups, poetry groups. Particularly, I like the poetry groups and the art groups. Mm. And um, the occupational therapists are great. Um, there's two of them here at the moment who organise something every day. Um, I have a friend outside, Catherine O'Driscoll, and um, she um, went down to a coffee shop with me today, and um, one of the occupational therapists brought us. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And that's an important part of your day.
11: Yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, um, I take regular cycles, and um, the bike store is about seven minutes in the other direction. And then there's Tesco and Supervalue within easy reach, and Aldi and Little, about 10, 10 or 15 minutes walk. Yeah. It's, it's a superb location.
3: Everything you need is here. Like. Yeah. yeah. And, and you've no idea where you might
11: have to go when
3: it closes, do you?
11: Well, the, it, was, it was due to close in six weeks, but um, they haven't told us anything about that, and the staff say the same. Keith, you, you, you've been living here
3: now for five years, and you've just got a list in front of you yep. of the services that are available to you. Start with that list for me.
2: OK. For the doctor over there, we have dentist over there. Uh, we have a library, solicitors... Four banks, four supermarkets, laundries, cinema, cobbler, opticians, hearing aid, taxi services, hairdressers, chiropodists. Everything you need. Yeah, Literally. Mm. And what, what I get from that is that uh, these services are, are right on the doorstep and they tend to draw me out, mm. humanise me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I... I, I can get involved in these services yes. and it helps me forget my <laughs> problems. Yes. And uh just do the normal things in life. Yeah. And
3: what would worry you about being moved from here where everything like that is around you?
2: Well that it that it wouldn't be there. Like to yeah. me the location of this place is like a medicine. It's it contributes to me progressing, right. getting better.
3: Gather Bet station is just across the road, that's another yeah. service.
2: It's 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 a form of protection. Yeah. Uh, it's good in the area, you know? Yeah. So we have a very good relationship with the shops, uh, a personal one, yeah. Yeah. because we're actually visiting them. And, Keith, have they told you or any of your friends here yet where you
3: might be going?
2: Uh, <laughs> no. If you take the letter, it was uh, the 28th of June, and here we are ten weeks later, mm. and they've just started to talk. To the mm. residents, is it worrying you where you might go? Tremendously, because uh, what was a four-month leading to closing the place mm. is now it's barely two months. It's six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that anxiety has been building up and up and up. <laughs> well, all we're asking is uh, if we could influence the decision where we go. Hmm. What would we like to uh, to look for?
3: I have another resident with me here, Vincent. You were telling me that it, a, a couple of weeks ago they began talking to you at last.
16: Yeah, um, they're talking, uh, well, they've been talking a, a while, but the progression of the talks are only come to fruition now, you know, yeah. this week, you know. So How long um, have you been here? Uh, I'm just here, just over five years. Right.
3: Yeah. So this is home.
16: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, before here I was living in an apartment out in Carrigley in um I was out there for six years and uh, eleven months, but I um, ran out of money, ran out of everything, yeah. ran out of luck, and I got sick, and so I ended up in here. Yeah. But I, you know,
3: and this place is good for you.
16: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Your, your friend was listing off all the places that were around, and that's important. Would you be worried about being moved to some place you
2: didn't know?
16: Well, you see, the whole point about it is, if we're if we're, if we're moved to Southfield Square, like it's out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. it's inaccessible. Whereas here, it's very central. Yeah, like. Super Value. All this is just there. The dentist is over there. Yeah. You know the um, the doctor is up St Mary's Road. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Everything everything is at hand. At yeah. uh, library, uh, shops. Yeah. Anywhere anywhere you want to go. Yeah. Everything you need is here. Everything I need is here. And um, I, I miss. Well, I'm, I'm I'm from here anyway. You know. So. Yeah. So You're I a local man you? yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. So I miss the place badly. Like. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And yeah you still don't know they've said it but you still have no idea and it's the 31st of October it's to close is that right?
16: Yeah 31st of October we'll all be out here uh, so we've been told mm. but he, he came you see fair enough the place ain't fit for purpose even the manhole covers outside the door are um, 1972 Yeah. but uh, it's 49 years old this place you know Yeah, yeah. so it's not fit for purpose and uh, all our meals at the minute are um Coming from Southfield Court, the the gang in the kitchen, the cooks don't cook the meals; they only reheat the meals. I see. Coming from Southfield Court, because so it
3: definitely needs to be done up.
16: Yeah, yeah. dilapidated or, it was. You're
3: getting emotional at the thoughts of having to leave. Well, yeah, yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Relax. Relax. Thank you for talking to me. All right. And I uh, good luck with everything. Yeah, thanks. So, Mary, we've talked to a number of the residents, and it's the central theme with them all that this everything they need is in walking distance. This is their home. they they're scared.
5: And so we PJ, as their relatives, were really, really troubled by this proposed shutdown of a unit that is working really well. Mm. This this has been... I have a relative here who's been here for over 25 years and this is her home. She's very connected. She feels very attached to other residence here um, to the place itself and the location yeah. is very um, accessible for everything that she um, values and um, helps her live a, a fuller life really One, of the,
3: two la- one yeah. of the two of the lads that I'm talking to here seem, they get very anxious at the prospect of having to move is that the same with your relative?
5: Oh yes and, and she's very um, concerned um, at the um, uncertainty of everything and um, we receive letters in um, the end of June to say that you know there were going to be consultations about this, and there haven't been consultations to date. Mm. Um, and um, we, we as relatives, know our family members really well, and we know what 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 serves them. And this unit, while there are issues with the building, there's no doubt about that. Mm. They are issues to do with the structure of the building. They're not to do with the service. The service is actually um, a very valuable integrated service. The
3: HSA would say and a statement that we got a few weeks back, they said that the building is no longer fit for purpose and they have to do something. So what else could they do I wonder?
5: Well I think there, there are structural issues with the building um, but there, there are um, many occasions where this is the case, you know, where you have funding um, required to bring buildings up to modern standards. But I think the critical thing is to have the political will and the appetite to have a vision to see what is within a local town it is a, an invaluable service there is no other long stay service in, in this region so it's something once it's gone it will be gone um, we know these things don't um, get built back if they if they're taken out of communities and it is needed
3: yeah as a relative if you have one message for the people making the decisions what would it be
5: my simple message is that this unit onakura is not just a project it's, it is the resident's home. This is, this is working well, so don't, don't break it. Don't lose something that is really valuable.
3: There you go. That's uh, just my visit to the Onokura Centre last week. I thank the residents for speaking with me. I thank their uh, relatives for inviting me. And indeed, I spoke uh, to a member of staff, I will say no more, as I was leaving. Um, who was delighted that I had come down because they don't want to move out of it either because it suits everybody down there. I had a walk around. There's a hospital just across the road, Middleton Hospital, and there's acres and acres of space, acres and acres of space. So if they had to do something and build something new down there, to a layman at least, to the gob on a stick on the radio, it looks like you could do it there. The meeting is tonight in Middleton Park, Um, it'll be COVID compliant obviously but it's on tonight if you're interested in that particular issue 185715996 now Cork 96FM's local hero talent search is up and running with hot press looking for bands hip hop acts rappers DJs singers songwriter, someone with a guitar whatever you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM if you're the next maybe Shane Codd or Lyra or Pitcher this or Whoever, we want to hear from you. This is your opportunity. It's part of Irish Music Month for the month of October. And it's on independent radio right across the country. Looking for your music demos now to get involved in this. So if you've got a song or a piece of music or whatever that you'd like us to hear and put forward for consideration, you email it, mp 3 Format, please, to Irish music at ninety six fm. ie Irish music at ninety six fm. ie uh, There's an overall five thousand euro prize fund. You'll get your record released and have your music played on independent radio stations right across Ireland. It's part of Irish Music Month, proudly supported by Cork's ninety six fm and Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. I bet you they're out there. And if not, someone will be, will blame Brexit. They will. There's some guy will blame Brexit over this. Apparently, caller says I cannot get a size 30 Hurley anywhere for the Smalley. Anybody know where I might get a size 30 Hurley that they'd have them in stock? Okay. Some idiot will blame blame, blame Brexit, but no, a size 30 Hurley, please do let us know 1850 715 996 speaking of people going back to work more has been speaking to brian
17: uh, my name is brian murphy and i'm the finance director at sosv so can you tell me a bit
6: about the company first and
17: what you do yeah the company is um we're a venture capital company and um, we invest in very early stage companies um it was founded by sean o'sullivan um, who used to um, live in Cork, but now is based in the u.s um, and we do a lot of our investing across the world and um, a lot of it in the US, um, China and uh, we do a lot in Ireland as well. And
7: say uh, your own first day
6: back in the office. How long have you been working from home, I take it, for the last one?
17: Yeah, um, we've been home now for, what, the 18 months, two years. Um, it's great to be back. Um, I think we've um, eight or nine of the team back in today. We've uh, about 13 or 14 in total here. Um, I think it's just nice to have everyone back in again. Um, I think people are um, sick of having to work from bedrooms and um, the house and I think it's um, it's just great even from a mental health perspective that people are back in here and they're interacting and they're face to face and we can have less Zoom meetings than we've had over the last 18 months which is, um, which is nice. And how did you
7: find the commute this morning?
17: Um, the commute was okay. Um, traffic is uh, building up a little bit. I came in from East Cork um, but to be fair it was okay. Um, I, I'm sure it'll probably get um, heavier as the weeks go on, um, and, and we'll have to figure that out. But it's, it's not too bad. And
6: it's your local team is it,
17: are you all based here in Republic of Cork? Yeah, we're our, our team in Cork. Um, we've about 14, as I said here, um, and we're all based in the office. So we've we've people have coming from um, you know 200 yards away to you know an hour's commute out. Um, so it's very different for those people, um, and I think that's um, you know that's going to be the challenge for those people is getting used to journeys again. Um, and I think what we're going to do is try and be flexible with people and you know we'd rather people didn't have to commute an hour and if it meant that they come in later um, or go home earlier or something like that then that's something that we have to look at
6: and did you find working from home that it's very hard to switch off
17: Um, I think it is I think it's um, you know for a lot of people you know you're working and sleeping out of a bedroom and um, I think that's hugely difficult Um, and you know while you have facilities like zoom which were were amazing at the same time i think people were got sick of it pretty quickly um the zoom fatigue kicked in um and i think people found that very challenging i mean you can't you know you can't beat that face-to-face interaction with people um and i think you know as humans it's something that we we crave and um i think having it back is is great
8: and
6: even
17: getting together a nice coffee from the coffee dock is, is a bonus. It is, you know, and you kind of get to meet uh, coming into Republic Work this morning. It's uh, you're seeing some of the old faces back again, and it's um, it's lovely to be back. That's Brian
3: Murphy from SOSV talking to Meray about the first day back in the office. Enjoy your day if if it is your first day back. A shout out, please, to Ronan Leach and all the staff at Leisureplex Mac Street opening their doors today. After being closed for many, many months, welcome back to the Victorian quarter. And uh, yeah, great to see the Leisureplex and other places open again today. Right. There are size 30 Hurleys in Aidan Walsh's in Kenturk, in Microsports in Ballancolleg. They're not made of ash, but they do have them in size 30 in Microsports in Ballancolleg. Uh, the Tackle Shop has, has them as well, or so were. Worth... You'll get sorted. We'll get you one. We'll get you one. Don't worry about that. And it's got nothing to do with Brexit. And that's it for Monday, the program edited by Fiona Carker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.
1: Can we just talk?
0: The opinion line on Corks 96FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now.
15: They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Cmig.ie.